it's uh, lovely to be here this morning and to be in a large church. Um, I'm working with my wife at the moment in a little church plant in Partick. Partick Baptist sadly was closed a couple of years back, and but it's been reopened. And um, Queen's Park Baptist Church took it on to put a team back in there, so we volunteered from a different church to go and get involved with that. So it's even smaller, smaller in here, and if you don't go, it's like nobody's there. It's kind of really different. I used to go to a larger church just north of Glasgow in uh, Bears Den. And you can't, you could kind of not be there, and it didn't matter too much, you know. It mattered to the Lord, but it didn't matter to the folks, there's enough folk there. But now we're involved in something really small, and it's a real test is does the gospel work? And the answer is, of course it does. You know, and this is the fact amongst all facts that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that's the fact that everything will be measured against. You know, and all this false news and crazy stuff we hear in television, there's one fact above every fact. And that's that Jesus has risen. That's why he's the cornerstone, that's why everything's measured against that, and that's why our lives have to come around that. We have to get reorganized around that fact. And um, it's just my thought that, you know, I think one day, like um, exactly a couple thousand years ago today on Palm Sunday, Jesus became the talk of the town. And I just think, you know, could Jesus once again become the talk of the town? Could he be the talk of Moody'sburn in Christon, talk of Cumbernauld, talk of Bearstead, talk of Glasgow? Could he become the talk of Scotland? You know, rather than on the Ibrox kind of terraces where they're saying Jesus, but not thinking about Jesus, they're talking about Jesus. Men are talking about Jesus. Women are talking about Jesus. Boys and girls are talking about Jesus. You know, and that's what was happening on Palm Sunday. We sang those songs where we saying Hosanna and they're waving palm branches and it's the wrapped up, it's a week before Easter. And we're not going to talk about the, the passage today, we're going to go back a few chapters into John chapter 4. But um, in that passage, you know, in, um, just a little bit later, they're waving the palm branches and they're welcoming in the king. Well, literally, the whole of Jerusalem is talking about Jesus. Imagine that, there's nothing else, there's no other news apart from Jesus. They're all saying what is going on and they think they're, they're wanting this king to come, they're wanting, and they're going to get a king, but he's going to be different to the kind of king they're expecting. And I want to kind of look back to see a little bit of what kind of king this Jesus is. One of my favourite stories. It's great to come to church to preach because you can just pick, just pick passages that you're... Sometimes I go to churches and they say, we're in Ecclesiastes and you're on Ecclesiastes 3, 6 to 9. And you're thinking, cool, that's cool. <laughs> and other times they say to you, you can just preach on what you like. And you think, oh, great. I'm not on a systematic one. We can just preach something. It's kind of on, hopefully on God's heart, and it's certainly on in my heart, and it's certainly part of it's really sharing what the gospel's about. I mean, you heard my background. Um, I work for Alpha now. Uh, there's about, I don't know, six, seven hundred plus churches in Scotland involved with Alpha, running Alphas, and probably more than that have run Alpha. It's not the only way to do evangelism. But it was what happened to me when, in my last job when I was a pastor of a church in Aberdeen. I was pushed into running Alpha. I didn't fancy it, it was from England. And it was a course on God. I think it's certainly quite boring. And um, but big Mike in my church. Most churches have a big Mike. Big Mike wasn't for telling, taking a telling. He wanted to run Alpha. So eventually, I gave in, and we ran Alpha. And weirdly, because we'd had the Logos ship, you know the OM boys, and they have those ships. Well, Aberdeen's one of those funny places if you've ever been there. The harbour's right in the middle of town. It's really strange. There's Marks and Spencers there, and these great big boats here. And so the Logos was brilliant because they had the Logos boat right in the middle of town. And it did get folk talking. 
talking about faith and things of God and there was lots of younger folk who come that week and by the end of the week they didn't want to go but they didn't want to follow Jesus and they didn't want to come to church so we didn't know what to do and this was Big Mike's convictions we could run Alpha with these guys and um, and we could do it in partnership with the Elam Church and I thought it was an even worse idea because if they did become Christians they'd probably go to the Elam Church that's a small minded pastors for you and um, we did run Alpha and virtually all of them became Christians some went to Elam, some came to us and that was how we started running Alpha back in the mid-90s and we just kept running it as a way for folks who are around but aren't sure they really want to join but they're interested because they've seen our lives and they're curious but they just really, the only thing they're curious about is you talk about Jesus, well, tell me about him what's all that about? And can I ask all my questions. So that was hope. that's the journey I've been on. That's probably why I got this job with Alpha, because that became quite a big part of our story. And, uh, before I was a pastor, I had a real job. That's what I used to say. Oh, you're a real job pastor. I used to work in finance. So that was my previous day job. So I did that kind of thing uh, before that. So that's my kind of three phases of life. I have to fess up to being originally from Edinburgh as well. That's a shocker. And supporting the Hybees, but you know, it gets worse. And uh, I got that off my chest. But see, generally when I'm around here, I just say I come from Aberdeen because it's easier. I do that fit like thing, you see. I'm chatting a while, all that. Because um, my dad was in Aberdeen and I lived there most of my life, but actually did happen to be in Edinburgh when I was born. So there we go. Um, but so I lived most of my life, and now I'm back in Glasgow, now I'm in the proper place in the west of Scotland, and enjoying being around folks and around the gospel. So anyway, let's have a look at this uh, lovely passage in John chapter 4. I'm going to read various sections and I'm going to just talk about them. My style today may be a little bit more conversational. Uh, hopefully that's alright. I've uh, got the boys and girls in. So hopefully we can have uh, a little bit of fun in life as well as dig into God's word together. So let's go on a little adventure with Jesus. John chapter 4. And... Um, We'll just start reading from verse 1 to start of the chapter, isn't it? Um, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was, was uh, gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist. And although that was not the case, it wasn't Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Jesus had this habit of withdrawing when things got a little bit hot or a little bit popular. And in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let's just stop there. We're going to read three sections this morning. I love the little phrase there. Now it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. The answer is, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. The answer is, no good Jews went through Samaria. No good Jews went through Samaria. They all went round. You know, it's like everybody had to come through Middlesbrough in the old days, didn't they? You know what I mean? But now you could go kind of round. Most folk go around. Yep, we still have to go through. But it was much more difficult because Jesus was here, Samaria was here, and Galilee's up here. So Jesus, you know, the, the, the straight way to go is straight through Middlesbrough. Yep, but the longer ways to go round. But all the Jews liked to go round Samaria to get to Galilee. I wonder why that was. Because they didn't like them. Yeah, no good Jew liked this. And you're going to hear in the story, the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. It's like the Celtic and the Rangers. It's just they don't get along. You know what I mean? It's two tribes. They've got a different view of God. They've got a different view of worship. They're not pals. So they didn't have to go. You know, the, the word in the passage here is basically the same word as when Jesus was compelled to go into the desert by the Spirit. 
the same sense in this passage. That Jesus was nudged, encouraged, forced, pushed by God to go through Samaria. Because the father had business to do. And he needed his son to go the way that most folk don't go. So Jesus had to go to Samaria because something's going to be happening. So Jesus is where his father wants him to be. So he's obedient to the call of his father. So he has to go through Samaria. He doesn't go the normal way with all, the, with all of his tribe. He steps out and he goes into the place that people don't like to go. It's the not here place. Not in Samaria. Stuff doesn't happen in Samaria. Actually, God's not in Samaria. It's not, his, it's not God's country. You know what I mean? Isn't it funny around the world and around places? Always places you think, well, those are the in places. and no, those are the not in places. And this is the places that God's working in. Those are the places that God's not working. It's a bit like that. These are the wrong people. Jesus is he's here in the Father, but on the other side, he must be thinking, why Samaria? Why would I go here? What do you want me to do? What is it about this place? You know, but what if Jesus is in Samaria? Well, because he's going there, he takes the Father with him. But in our day, what if Jesus is actually in all of them, everywhere? He's able to turn up through us wherever. Yep. What if Jesus is at our work? What if Jesus is at our school? What if Jesus is in our street? What, we're singing that everything's possible. I love the kids' songs. The kids always get the best songs, don't you? Why do we get the You always get the lively songs. But what if Jesus was in Moody's Burn right now? Well, the answer is he is, and anything's possible. You know, I dare you to dream what could be with Jesus here. And we're going to see amazingly what Jesus can do in Samaria, the place that Jesus isn't supposed to be, and that we generally think, well, God wouldn't be here because they don't believe right. They don't have straight beliefs. They're, they're kind of outsiders. They're not the right people. I want to introduce you to a person. So the question today is, can Jesus become the talk of the town? And I want to introduce you to Shane Taylor. I met Shane a few years ago. Um, Shane was listed um, as the, in the top six most violent inmates in the British prison system. It's so violent that he was kept in solitary confinement. He was so violent that they didn't open the door to his cell, but they fed him through a slit in the bottom of the door. They pushed the tray through a slit there. He was so violent, he'd stabbed prison officers. <laughs> he'd attempted murdering two prison officers while in jail. <laughs> Shane is not a nice guy. You know, I was sitting next to him, and I wasn't too worried. So I wonder what had happened. And uh, the answer is this, that Shane, he's in jail, he's in a position that is utterly a violent culture, and he's of the most violent within that. You'd have to say it's, this jail in Hull is probably Samaria. You think it's just God's not there. Well, for Shane, God was there because there was another guy called Robert Bull. And they couldn't open the door to Shane, but Shane was related to one guy called Robert Bull. Now, Robert Bull was a Christian. He was in, he was in jail for murder. But he used to say to Shane, he used to bug Shane rotten. And Shane says, Shane, I'm in for life. I am so free. I've become so free. And when I ever get out of here, I am just so free. And that really annoyed Shane. It annoyed him so much that in his cell in solitary confinement, he read the Bible in the back of the door in the cabinet. You know the one you get in the hotels and all that. He started to read it. And uh, in the midst of this, Shane is in, still in a terribly bad place. And what would happen was when he was, um, if they would open the door, they would only open the door if they had six um, prison officers in full riot gear. And even then, Shane could break out beyond them. 
and run around the jail causing carnage. He was just strong, and you just didn't need to worry about that. Yep. So that was the kind of guy he was, but God was doing something in the no-go place. God was doing something. He'd heard this story from Robert telling him about Jesus and telling him about forgiveness. And um, a little lad came round the jail and he was saying, there's a thing on called Alpha and you can come on Alpha. And Shane didn't want to go. The guy went back round and the guy said, I'll basically come back, I'll, I'll seriously do you over. The guy says, chocolate biscuits. And Shane, they let him out to go with the chaplain to do Alpha. And on the, on the day away, I don't know how you do a day away on Alpha, to be honest, in a prison. I think they just go to the chapel and say, you know. But God came on Shane. And he cried and he cried and he cried. And then he told the chaplain, don't you ever tell anybody else I'm crying. The chaplain said, if this is real, and Jesus has come to you, you'll tell everybody yourself. The next day they opened his cell door, with still with the same situation with the riot police. He broke out and ran around the jail, shouting, Jesus has saved me. Never been the same since. Now he's years on, released from jail. He's married, he's got kids. And he's got a church around him in Middlesbrough with maybe 50, 60, 70 people. Most have come to know Jesus. Because the answer is, Jesus doesn't do no-go areas. He doesn't understand no-go. So you read John chapter 4. He doesn't, Samaria isn't no-go. Because there are no no-go areas to Jesus. There are no no-go places to Jesus. I wonder if there's anything in our mind that says, I wonder if my neighbour or my this street or this school or my whatever, it's just a bit hard. You know, as I go around Scotland, people often tell me, they want to tell me that their place is the hardest place for the gospel. But logically, every place can't be the hardest place. You know what I mean? It just isn't possible. Everybody can't have the hardest place. But actually, in this story, what we're going to see is that no place is hard to Jesus. Because there isn't one. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's able to do the stuff. So let's read on and see what happens. There's no no no-go areas. So anything can happen. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to Tesco to buy some food. That's the message version. Anyway, his disciples have gone to town. Let's let's stick with the proper translation. To buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan lady. How can you associate with me? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. We've learned already. They're no-go people. It's a no-go area. It's a no-go people. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw water with and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did also with his sons and his flocks and his herd? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep come and drawing water she's still thinking about the natural water he said to her go and call your husband and come back she said I have no husband Jesus said to her you're quite right the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you've had and the man you're with now is not your husband we would have called him in Aberdeen you're by Dean and what you have just said is quite true and then the lady diverts the conversation 
And I'm going to read on in a little while. Basically the lady is saying, not me. You know, and she, she goes on and she tries to divert the conversation to where to worship and this and that. But Jesus knows her. Because Jesus hasn't just been told where to go to Samaria. Jesus obviously knows something from the Father. And he meets the lady and he's able to say to her, you've had five husbands. And the current one isn't. You know, I used to do a lot of work on a scheme in Aberdeen and I was quite like that quite a lot of the time. I was never sure which men were with which women in the scheme at all. But we saw God break into so many families. It's very hard to work out which kids were with which parents in the right order or anything else. And the men seem to get traded around the estate quite regularly in quite a remarkable way. And it sounds a bit like this. That wasn't a no-go area to Jesus. And she's not a no-go. But she just wants to say, probably out of shame, the reason that she's at the well, nobody goes to the well at midday to draw water. It's raging. I was out in Cyprus last year. And I was roughly at midday at a place called Salamis, one of the old kind of sites and Paul was in Cyprus at Paphos and all this. It was bad. It was raging. It was about 42, 3 degrees. And you don't go and collect water at midday. The reason she's collecting water at midday is that nobody does it. Because her story, she's probably full of shame. She's had five husbands. She doesn't fit in with her religious crowd, with her friends. She's an outsider. So she's gone when nobody's there and she's not likely to see anybody, not have to encounter anybody. And she, no wonder she would love a supply of water that was regular and whatever. And Jesus is wanting to take her deeper to real water and real chains like Shane found. Yep, and something's possible. But she's saying, not me. Not here, not me. And the disciples want to reinforce that. In verse 27, when they come back, I love the disciples. They're largely quite slow. And Jesus, uh, this says in 27, then the disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking to the lady. But no one dared say, what do you want and why are you talking to her? So not just does she not what kind of want to be engaged, but the disciples don't want him to engage with her either. They're like, like, so she's going, not me. And the disciples are going, not her. What a terrible situation. But Jesus has heard the Father and he doesn't care because he doesn't do no-go areas and he doesn't do no-go people. Because there's nobody outside and no place that he isn't able to work. You know? You know, perhaps you've ruled yourself out. You know, I think it's so easy to rule ourselves out. Well, I don't qualify. There's better qualified people here to do stuff in church. You know, maybe you live next to people who've ruled themselves out and say, well, if you knew, I've had so many folk over the years that say, Paul, if you knew the way I'd lived, if you knew the stuff I'd done, you'd know there's no point in talking to me. So many folks that say, I just, you know, they carry shame, they carry the guilt, they carry the whatever, and they just want to say, not me. But we, we serve the living God who says, yes, you, yes, you, and yes, me. And he never says to anybody, doesn't say to Shane, doesn't say to anybody, not you. Because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The cross is powerful enough to deal with everything. With every sin. With everything that we've done. And to take us back to God. Jesus talks about it in terms of this living water. That can come into your life. And change it from the inside out. So she's sceptical about that. And I think Jesus talks to her and says. Well actually here's your life. And I say, I'm talking to you. And I actually know your life. And she wants to rule herself out. But he's saying you've had five. I know your life. God knows your life. And I'm still talking to you. So your life hasn't put you outside of God's grace. 
I know that and I'm still not put off. I can do something for you. I can bring the change that you need. So she's opened up with this prophetic insight um, that Jesus has from, I assume, from the praying to the Father. And uh, she then tries to follow him off, as I've said, and she gets into a bit, with, I'm not going to read it this morning, they discuss where you should worship and how you should do, it's a bit like that old hymn thing, it's a, so we sing which songs are better, new songs or old songs, where should we sing them in church or whatever, and they have one of the ding-dong, which is absolutely irrelevant, and Jesus brings her back uh, to the conversation about faith and life, and the disciples are, are there, and if we jump down a little bit, and so the, the, the disciples are trying to put it off in verse 27. Sorry, it's quite a long passage here, but I'll have to jump through it a little bit. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see the man who told me about my life. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples said, Rabbi, we need something to eat. We're starving. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples, still been pretty slow, said to each other, could somebody have bought him food? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish this work. So she's had a transformative encounter with Jesus. We're not told exactly how that works, but she goes back and she tells the whole village. She tells the whole town. To about could this be the Christ I've met someone, I've encountered somebody who has changed my life I met a lady uh, recently uh, Lindsay, I'm going to pop her up I get to meet, I have such a fun job um, so church pastors phone me up when somebody becomes a Christian it's such a fun job, you know what I mean the minister phoned me up a few years ago and said we baptised somebody I had the feeling it was the first in a long time and he said, we've you know, just been doing this. And he was so encouraged, he wanted to phone me up. So that's a great job, isn't it? Phone you on a Monday morning and tell you that people become Christians. So I get to meet lots of people. We did a little conference for, um, actually for Church of Scotland ministers. And Lindsay was sharing her story there the other day. And this is Lindsay. She um, lives in Glasgow. And um, I'll just read her story. This is her own words. I didn't go to church. My family stopped going when I was a teenager. So many families are like that, they drop out. Sometimes the kids drop out as well. I dropped out when I was a teenager when we moved from Edinburgh to Glasgow with my dad's job. It was a time of transition, but I didn't just realise how much we'd change and how much I would change. When the time came to go to university, although... um, Sorry, when the time came to go to university, along with it was partying and drinking, we just thought we were having a fabulous time. I didn't have any clear sense of purpose and identity, and I was hugely influenced by my boyfriend and his friends. For him, weekends were about drinking, football and socialising. Family and home didn't seem to matter so much to him. And I drifted away from my family and felt very distant to them and to my friends. And I was swept along with a tide of this kind of lifestyle. And to be honest, I never really felt I belonged or it really satisfied me. And in looking back, I can see I was quite lonely. And that's why I filled my life with just working hard. I worked for like, it was overtime, overtime, overtime. Then I decided to study again on top of that. And actually, in the midst of all of that, I was suffering more and more spells of anxiety and depression. I'd got married now, but five months into my marriage, my husband walked out. And I was left completely devastated. I had to move back home to my parents. I was in complete shock. And I was very wary of people and didn't know who I could trust anymore. During this time, a girl who I'd studied with at college, but I wasn't close because we were in different times now. 
really helped and supported me. Despite living in Edinburgh, she made time to see me and connect with me and support me. I could see that her life was different from my own. I could see that faith was at the heart of it and it had led her to living really differently. She invited me to go along to church. She even arranged for me to go to a church into Glasgow and to, to be met by some folks she knew. So I went along with not much to lose. I walked into that local church in the west end of Glasgow one evening and straight away I was invited to try Alpha. It was starting that week. I agreed to go along mainly because I was living on my own and I knew I'd get to meet people my age, like me, and I'd also get a cooked dinner. When I arrived the first night, I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous, but I was struck how friendly the church people were. People who were like me, they just seemed normal. I thought they'd be weird, but they weren't nearly as weird as I imagined. There was a real mix of people too, people older, people younger. When some of the people in my small group spoke of what mattered to them, I really listened, because what they had was a real contrast to what I had. Someone who was helping in my small group shared with me how she spent her spare time volunteering at Glasgow City Mission. She was working with disadvantaged people. She also carried an old photograph of herself to show people how Jesus had transformed her life. She had previously been a drug addict weighing less than five stone. I've seen the picture. The change was so visible and this lady was hosting my small group that I just had to stop and listen. What on earth had turned her life around? For me, the real highlights of that whole Alpha was that weekend away together. I had an amazing experience. I was prayed for. I felt loved. I felt the love of God. I felt cared for. I felt I could trust people again. I went home and I sat alone in my flat and I remember the words of the song Amazing Grace, which I sang out. It was at that time that I prayed and really trusted and believed in Jesus. And it was the first moment I really would say I was a follower of Jesus. I phoned my friend who had previously encouraged me to tell me I had become a Christian. She told me she'd been praying for me for the last 10 years. You know, the way my life has changed has been amazing. I was always self-absorbed, self-focused, but now I have compassion for people. My own experience of life means I can relate to others who are broken and vulnerable. I can walk alongside people, support and empathize with them. It was at church that I met my new husband, Stephen. We've got married. We now have two amazing children and another one on the way. He's got three kids. The other one's born now. Jesus has changed everything in my life for the better. You know, Lindsay's currently studying to be a Church of Scotland minister. She qualifies for this. And that's why she was at the conference sharing her story. And she's since given birth to a little baby boy called Malachi. You know, God can restore everything too. You know, he doesn't just bring people to himself, but he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I mean, Lindsay, I've spoken to her, and she would say she was quite like the lady at the well, you know, because she had lots of shame. She blamed herself for lots of it. She put lots of it down to this and that. And at the end of the day, Jesus had a plan for her. Jesus didn't see her as a no-go person. And she would have said, oh, not me. I, I, this is all bust up. It's all my fault. And I've lost it all. I'm, I'm, I'm excited of the grace of God. And God came to her, and I love the way he used that girl, five stone, ex, five stone, ex, drug addict, help her. I haven't met her in Glasgow City Mission, I help her. He said, this was me, and this is me now. So I can't get beyond that. See, when people look at our lives, they, they wonder about us. You may not think that, but they wonder about us. Just as she looked and wondered what it was about the church. You know, and, you know, we are his kind of hands, his feet, his, his kind of voice to people, his love to people and it makes people think and Jesus is obviously in our story here in John chapter 4 and he's really there real time and she can feel the love of Jesus for herself 
But the reality is that in this day and age, it's us that are the ones who go. It's the ones that us that have to go that aren't any no-go. God doesn't believe in no-go areas. God doesn't believe in no-go people. He doesn't do that. And he says, yes, him, yes, her, yes, here, yes, now. That's the kind of God that we serve. And if we go on in this, uh, to the last bit in the passage here, there's no clock on the wall. It's a dangerous place to speak. You know, the, the disciples are saying, not now. Let's do the food. That's where we left the passage off. Let's get the food. Let's, let's just kind of pass on from this. And Jesus says, don't say, this is verse 35, four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and see. Look to the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life. Uh, One says, one sows, another reaps, it's true. I sent you to reap what others have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. So many of you in this place have prayed. And others get to go and do the reaping. People have prayed in generations before us. You know, I think in Scotland we have a generation of praying ladies. You know, some of you, some like my mum, have prayed and prayed and prayed and filled the bucket. And Jesus will answer. And he'll answer for our families, for our friends, for our relatives in his time. You know? And Jesus says, don't say four more months. And that's the thing I always used to find in Scotland. People say, oh, like, don't, not now. We're not going to run Alpha now. We're not going to do that evangelistic thing. We're not going to whatever. We'll do it. We're not ready. We're not, another time. When I'm more holy. But I just need to get more sorted out. And Jesus says, don't say four more months. The harvest is now. The harvest is now. Even now the reaper draws his wages. And said, verse 13, and many of the Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the lady's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more Samaritans, the no-go people, became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard him for ourselves and we know that this man truly is the saviour of the world. In all the place you shouldn't be. <laughs> yep. And at the time. It's now. It's now. Um, I was uh, going to uh, an assembly. I do one assembly. I thought I'd shaken off school assemblies. Um, but as a pastor, I used to do quite a lot of school assemblies. But somebody put my name down for a school assembly in Glasgow. So once a year, I go to the high school. And uh, to make sure I'm on time, I don't take my car because if it could take any length of time in Glasgow and the traffic. So I took the train. I thought I'll jump on the train. It's only three stops. And uh, so I get to the station and the train's been cancelled. Oh, you know, it's the same, isn't it? It's like. Anyway, so there's a lot of folk on the platform. So the next train comes, fortunately, and it's like 8.15. It's really a bit tight. I'm thinking I'll be in at 8.25, and school's about to start. I'm always, I'm always more panicky about school assemblies than I am about preaching. There's always hundreds and hundreds of boys and girls who like, do we have to listen to you, sir? And you know, that looks on their face and all that. Oh, here we go. So I'm a bit stressed. But anyway, the train comes, and it's only a three-carriage train, not a six-carriage train, and it's already full. So I kind of get my way into the train. I'm in the middle of the carriage, and then at the next stop, there's then more folk got on. And then at Annie's Land, more folk got on. And honestly, it was like the London Underground. It was a bit like... Uh, it was a bit like this. <laughs> and, uh, and I realised that Annie's Land, I had to... Sorry, uh, 
I had to get off so Western, I had to get off at Annie's Lynn, so I thought I started with my bag to try and squeeze from the middle of the carriage towards the door. And I was like, it was really quite awkward. And I was in two, they were in my space and I was in their space. And I was trying to get to the door and think, if I don't get to the door, I'm not going to get off the train. And I looked at these two ladies and I must have had a face on. They're like, oh my goodness. And they had a, like, and I said, I'm late. And the lady looked at me and said, what are you late for? And I'm like, I don't have a time to speak to you. I'm just trying to pretend about to get to the station. I'm late for an assembly. So her pal looks and says, what, what school? I said, the high school just on the corner there. And she said, what are you going to speak about? I was like, what are we going to speak about? I'm like, not now. Not now. I said, I'm going to speak about like, your call and your purpose in life and how you can find it. She said, how'd you do that? So I said, a nosy couple of ladies. I was like, <laughs> so I'm in this train and the whole carriage is listening. It's quite funny. And I was just like, I just don't want to go here. I'm focused. I'm, I'm focused. I'm in, the, I'm in the game zone for the assembly. And uh, I said, it's kind of like... Um, I tried to struggle for words and I eventually came up with like, what you're good at so I make sure of knowing what you're good at and what you're passionate about Christians call it gifting and calling and she said it'd be rubbish to do a job all of your life that you weren't passionate about it I said I love my job and she said what do you do and I'm like we're lifting the doors and opening at the station I said I work for this thing called Alpha have you ever heard of it she goes is that the thing with the banners outside the churches I said it is so I said where did you live up in Mulgaire should you go and have a wee look and I ran off the train but it was one of those not here not now don't get in my face you know what I mean but God brings people just like you see, we get the privilege of carrying on Jesus' ministry in my little thing I don't know where it went with those two ladies I got just to dip in for this little minute with them and it would have been easier to shut it down. I was in the hairdresser the other day, and the lady is like, when you're a pastor or you're a, you know, do a job like mine, it's a bit of a whatever. I remember doing some bar work back in the past, and then eventually I would ask them what they did, and they were oil engineers. And they would say to me, what are you, a pastor? And then they would try to recant all the previous conversation. You know, so sometimes a bit like that. And I was in the hairdresser, she asked me where I worked, and I thought, how am I going to go here? You know what I mean? You often, you're not, you're not, you're not much holier than me. You, don't, you never think like this. And I just thought, oh my goodness, I don't want, I'm not sure why to go here. So I said to the lady, I work for a thing called Alpha International. She goes, what's that? I said, well, the plane was famous for a thing called the Alpha course. So I think my mum did. She became a born-again Christian. So it's been nominal. And I mean nominal in Glasgow. You know, she's real dude. But she's, God, she's giving her face. So I stopped going to church. I thought, oh, jeepers. I wonder what kind of haircut I'm going to come out with. <laughs> You know, you just never know. But like, you know, but I just want to say, you know, God has a now moment in our lives every day. And we don't get necessarily to do quite the one where the whole town talks about Jesus. But it may just be that in us going, we find the woman at the well who tells everybody. You know, we just find... I'm not going to tell you Lee's story, one for another day. It's a young lad on a scheme in Edinburgh. Lee got invited to hear about the gospel by his sister, who's going to investigate. And um, her boyfriend, Paul, had gone along as well. Paul had gone to stop his girlfriend becoming a Christian. Um, his girlfriend had invited her brother, Lee. And um, Lee went to the youth version, it was actually Alpha. And uh, so he went to youth Alpha. His sister went to the adult Alpha, she was a couple of years older, and her boyfriend, who boyfriend's an atheist, so he, he'd stop her becoming a Christian. Well, after two weeks... He became a Christian. So Lee then became a Christian. And the next course, she became a Christian. And this has actually gone on. There's about 15 of them on the scheme. Literally, you know, they keep telling their friends about Jesus and what's happened to their lives. And they keep inviting them in. Not everybody. And it's honestly become the talk of their friends. 
in quite a remarkable way. Lee never told us any of this. Lee just told us he'd become a Christian and Jesus had really changed his life. He didn't tell us about his sister and her boyfriend and her friend and her pal and this, uh, the, the, and there's now like 15 of them. And it all goes back to one girl who a number of years ago prayed that God would give her some friends. But she found it really difficult to follow Jesus on her own. And God's answered her prayer by giving her like 14 pals, all their new Christians, on a scheme. One of the most famous ones in Edinburgh. I don't know how to tell you what it is. But we had a lot of schemes like that in Glasgow. Yep. And this crew, oh, have made Jesus the talk of their generation. And everybody's watching their lives and seeing the change that Jesus can make. And Jesus says, the harvest is now. And the whole town came out and believed. And I believe there is coming a time where God will do much more. But we're in the day of small things. We don't see everybody coming to faith, but we do see some. And we need to keep following Jesus. You know, until the day Jesus does become the talk of Midian's burning Christ. Until the day Jesus does become the talk of Scotland. And there are, it is possible to say, well, over there it is okay. God's working in China. God's doing stuff in India. God's doing stuff in Scotland. I've only told you a couple of stories. I know so many more. But we're like, we try to keep them under the radar in Scotland. You know what I mean? We don't like to share our stories too much. And you have stories. We've all encountered Jesus and God has changed our lives. So let's pray today. Let's pray that we get a new heart to say yes here. Get back to that one. Yes here. Yes me. Use me. Yes now. You know, at Easter, a couple of thousand years ago, that's what Jesus was saying as he came in on Palm Sunday to his father. Yes me. Yes here. And yes now. That was not an easy call. That was the toughest call ever to take on the sin of the world. There was no tougher call than to be God's son and to go through Calvary. And Jesus, that was what he was saying, yes. Jerusalem, here, now, and through me. So let us pray, God, would you do it through us? And blow away any sense that we have of no-go people and no-go areas. And let's light the gospel out this Easter. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that your heart is for the whole world. Lord, we thank you there isn't a neighbour of ours, there isn't a relative of ours, there isn't a child of ours, there isn't a parent of ours that you don't love and care for. Lord, we thank you there's none of them either that you don't know, and that you don't know everything about every hair on their head, and yet it hasn't put you off. But thank you it didn't put you off us, because Lord, what you deal with is sin. You deal with the worst of us, and you transform us and make us entirely new. Thank you today, Lord, that we can, so many of us can say that. But I want to pray this morning for anybody who's listening to this. Maybe you're listening to this today, and you're saying, Paul, I need to know this Jesus. I never really heard it like that before. It makes sense today. And that's because God's at work in your heart. As you've listened to the, to the Bible, listened about Jesus, you say, I want to follow that Jesus. I want to be like Shane. I want to be like Lindsay. I want to be like Leo. I want to know Jesus myself. And today you can just put your trust in him. And you can say, Jesus, I bring myself to you. Forgive my sin. Give me a new start. I put my faith in you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit like you did for them, like you did for that lady in town. Would you give me a new start? I follow you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. And without you this morning, just share that with somebody afterwards. Share it with Graham or maybe somebody you know. Say, I'm over the line. I'm following Jesus. And for those of us who are not, Lord, we want to pray for us, Lord, blow away the no-go mentality. That we just don't, aren't sure that the people we know will come to Jesus. 
Lord, would you give us a fresh faith to believe you for our friends and relatives. A fresh faith for this town. A fresh faith that what Easter is about still applies 100%. That the greatest story, the greatest fact in the world is that Jesus is alive. That death is beaten. And that you've risen from the dead. Lord, renew that in us this Easter. And make us an Easter people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.